Thank you, Moira. Thank you, Jacob, for reading our scriptures this morning. We've spent the last few weeks looking at some of the resurrection appearances of Jesus. We've looked at Thomas. We've looked at Jesus by the lakeside coming to the disciples, asking them, do you love me? We looked at Saul, who became Paul as he walked down a road to Damascus and met the risen Jesus. And now this week, we reach a point of completing what you might call the earthly period of Jesus. Because we reach the time when Jesus leaves his disciples and ascends into heaven, returning to his native heaven, as the first hymn we sang reminded us. So I thought today what we'd do is look a little at what the ascension means. So we're going to do a little bit of study and theology. No, it's fun. It's fun, honestly. And then for the people who don't like that, uh, I'm going to try and tell some stories that hopefully illuminate or put light into the nature of the ascension for us. Writers of modern soap operas take a lesson in writing from Luke. Uh, You know how each episode starts with the repeat of the cliffhanger with which the previous episode finished. Neighbours used to be brilliant at that, but I stopped watching Neighbours when Kylie Minogue left. (laughs) And Luke does that uh, with the two readings that we read. Luke writes his gospel and it finishes with the ascension of Jesus and Luke also writes for us the early history, theology, the mission of the spirit of the church, the book we call the Acts of the Apostles and he begins it. It's a hinge between those two stories. In fact, it's Luke who tells us in both the gospel and in the Acts of the Apostles most of what we know about the ascension of Jesus. Just as incidentally, it was Luke who gives most detail about the coming of Jesus as a baby uh, in Bethlehem in the first place. The beginning and the end of the earthly life of Jesus Christ. And Luke is at pains to point out with us, and this this has been throughout Christian centuries, a really, really important thing. Some of you might see that this morning, some of you might not. But throughout 20 centuries, it's been huge to believe the orthodox Christian idea that Jesus is one person all along. That the baby who came in Bethlehem and the one who sat in heaven from the foundation of the world before he ever came as a baby in Bethlehem and the one who lives and ministers and dies and is raised again and ascends to heaven to return to heaven with his father is one and the same being. Take for instance one of the very earliest Christian heresies as they're known which was known as adoptionism. This idea that Jesus appeared to be a good fellow from an ordinary birth and suddenly, usually suggested at the uh, baptism of Jesus, Jesus looks down from heaven and sort of says surprisingly, gosh, this person's a really good preacher. I know I'll bless him at this point in his life as a 30-year-old preacher with some anointed giftedness that then begins to elevate him into something else. God adopts Jesus of Nazareth and he begins to become Jesus the Son of God. Luke is at absolute pains to tell you that's not what happens. 
Jesus, the one created from, uh, not created, but from the foundation of the world in the Godhead, is born, lives, dies, ascends to heaven. But you'll find that in the scripture, chronologically from this point onwards, he's never referred to as Jesus of Nazareth very much again. It's now Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because for Luke, the ascension into heaven of Jesus is one of the great proof markers that Jesus is who he said he was. So he wants you to know that the ascension is absolutely critically important in revealing something that's fundamentally true about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In fact, without the ascension, Luke's really suggesting that you can have Christmas but understand it's a kind of romantic fairy tale. You can have Good Friday, but it's just the tragic story of another well-meaning failure. You can have Easter Day, but it can be the mysterious tale of a revived corpse. It's the ascension that makes clear that Jesus' work on earth is done and his going up into heaven, rather than saying just bye lads and disappearing, is the clue that actually we are meant to know that Jesus Christ has done the crucial work within the Godhead and it's done and it's completed and he's received gloriously back into heaven. There's no picture that Jesus goes to heaven with his tail between his legs and says, well, I did my best. Heaven rejoices to receive him because the work is done. This is success day, not failure day. And it's one of those occasions, the baptism and the transfiguration of Jesus, both of which Luke focuses on very fully, where Jesus, and I used this image a few weeks ago, which is why I'm using it again now, draws back the curtains and the light of a sunny day like now shines into this occasion and it's as if God is saying, look, he is who I said he was. This is my beloved son. He is accomplishing my plans. It's okay to believe him. It's okay to obey him. And I receive him now back into heaven with great joy. He has done all things well. I want you to note too, while we're just theologizing a little bit about this passage, that the ascension of Jesus brings to an end how the disciples have been able to be disciples. You see, up to now, they've been following him, which is what disciple means. They've been following him quite literally. He's gone to Caesarea Philippi, they've gone with him. He's gone to Jerusalem, they've gone with him. They have witnessed over nearly three years his deeds, his healings, his miracles, his teaching. They've been there. But from now on, their discipleship's going to have to be different. They will still be going with him but they'll be going in a different way. They'll still be witnessing to his deeds and pointing people to him and reminding people about his teaching, but they're playing a different role. 
They'll still hear his words speaking to them, but now they're to declare them without the physical Jesus stood next to them taking center stage. Having heard his teaching, they're now asked to be the proclaimers of it. In other words, the disciples from that point and every other disciple from that point in history, right down to us, is a disciple who believes and proclaims a Jesus who has ascended into heaven. And I want you to note finally while we're just ruminating about this passage that uh, a pattern that Luke gives you. Do you remember all those weeks ago before Easter when we started through Lent all the way back to Ash Wednesday, some of us celebrated it in the chapel downstairs. And then we spent 40 days in the wilderness where Jesus was communing with God, at which point at the end of 40 days, he comes out of the wilderness, goes into the synagogue at Nazareth and starts a different kind of ministry, the public ministry of Jesus. Here, Luke tells you that Jesus, the risen Jesus, spends 40 days and 40 nights with his disciples, communing, they commune with him, and he teaches them about the kingdom of God, and then they're asked to take up their ministry in a different way. And you're meant to see the similarities. When we're in the realm of the ascended Jesus, we take on ministry in a different way. We take on discipleship in a different way than when Jesus is physically here with us. Our discipleship goes through different phases. Sometimes it's our age that determines what we can do in our discipleship, or it's our health, or it's our spiritual health. But the secret, the secret of being a lifelong disciple of Jesus, when the situations change, is the ability to continue to say, yes, Lord, at every stage. And finally, in our reflections, I want you to note the blessed angels appear again. I tell you, if you removed the references that Luke gives to angels in the New Testament, you cut the whole lot down by three quarters. Luke loves angels. Today I want you to note how often when Luke puts angels into the stories he tells, the angels bring confusion before they bring any clarity. Remember the confusion of Mary when she's told she's to bear God's son before she begins to see it. Can't be true. I wonder whether Peter, in this story later on in Acts, when heavenly visitors arrive just after that vision of unclean meats being taken back up into heaven and says, I want you to go to that filthy Gentile family, to Cornelius. He's confused. Why on earth, Lord, would you send me to an unclean place? You can't possibly be. And then clarity comes. I see that God has no favorites. I wonder whether at the ascension when these two heavenly figures, exactly the same Greek word for the two figures who appear outside the tomb on Easter day, exactly the same. I wonder whether at this ascension day, Peter nudges John and says, hey, aren't they those two guys who were at the empty tomb a few weeks ago? 
What are they doing here? Well, they're doing what angels always do in Luke's narratives. They're reminding us every time they appear that God is doing something fantastic. And we're invited not just to watch it or hear it, but to receive it and then live our lives by it. Mary didn't say on the annunciation of the birth or the conception of the baby in her womb, what a good idea, I'll keep an eye on my waistline. And Peter didn't turn around and say, yeah, that's a very nice concept, every God loves everybody, I'm staying here, I'm not going anywhere near a bloke called Cornelius. And here, why do you stand looking up into heaven? Well, actually, because something pretty gobsmacking's just happened, I'm looking at heaven. But we misunderstand the text. Why are you standing looking up into heaven? He is not here. Now get on with your work of bearing witness and testimony to this risen, ascended Jesus until he comes again. Angels enlist you, commission you, propel you, command you to be about the business of God. That's the theology bit, so you can wake up some of you. Some stories, they're true. Well, the first two are true. I don't mean the last one's not, I just can't vouch for it. For a number of years, I played in a gospel rock band. I could have included it in the quiz that Tony led, but I didn't. It was a rainy autumn evening in October 1976, and me and our two female singers, Jane and Donna, were traveling to a gig in Summerbridge, just outside Harrogate. They were in my little Austin 1300 estate with the gear, or some of the gear, in the back. I swear to this day, I wasn't going very fast. But as I braked, approaching a bend near a village called Timble, the car skidded on wet leaves, went through a dry stone wall, went over a ditch, crashed into a telegraph pole, which broke and fell into the roof of the car. I'll never forget the policeman either. He came out of the rain, looked inside, three drowned rats stood around the car now, looked at the demolished wall, looked at the telegraph pole, looked at the car and the roof smashed in so far that the roof was wedged on the gear stick, looked at Donna, who was okay, looked at Jane, who had a small gash in her knee, has the scar to prove it and has never ever forgiven me, looked back at the car and said words which, as you can hear, I've never forgotten. Well, son, someone up there loves you. Now, that's what Ascension Day means. Because if Jesus is the same Jesus who left his heaven and was conceived as a baby and lived and died on the cross for us and is then raised and ascended into heaven. He doesn't change his character. And when we are down or we're crashed out or we're devastatingly ill or we're out of hope, 
It's just so vitally important to know the simple but profound truth. Someone in heaven loves you. And some of us need to know that today. The Lord of heaven and earth is with us and loves us. And that's really good news. Now, not many miles away from the scene of a wrecked orange Austin 1300 estate, which went through a wall, is another place called Bewley Park. It was an outward bound centre in the 1970s and I visited it five or six times. I loved going to outward bound centres. It was my favourite part of school. You could ditch the rest of it, outward bound centre. I loved the canoeing, I adored the potholing and I hated the climbing. So there we were at the bottom of a rock called the Dancing Bear, which is not so far away from where I crashed the car, just outside Pateley Bridge. The Dancing Bear is a rock that stretches up to the sky and it's said in a wind that it moves about seven or eight inches in its base. The teacher just looked round at the six of us lads, 17, 18 years old, and said, okay lads, Who's going up first? And we all developed a sudden interest in the grass. Right, he said. Shoved the rope round him. And he began to climb up and out of sight. And we waited and we waited. And eventually there was rope coming down and this dangled rope appeared. And we then followed his shouting instructions, attaching the rope onto the carabiners that we had on our harnesses, and one by one making our way up this vertical rock. I went five, fifth out of six. There was no way I was going up first, and I wasn't going to be left there on my own. And just to think of it, 40 odd years later, turns my knees to jelly. How I ever got to the top, I will never know. But I remember all the way up the shouts of encouragement from the top. The rope just keeping enough slack but not too much slack, enough taut but not too much taut, always disappearing up into the top. And I remember the quivering, proud feeling as I hauled myself over the top of the lip of the rock and laid on my back and looked to the sky up above me out of breath and the claps on the back and the grins of the teacher. Well done, lad. And then he said more quietly as he tugged on the rope still attached to me and began to undo it, and I noticed it was attached to him, and then I noticed it was attached from him onto a rock that must have weighed 20 tons. We had you every inch of the way, he said. There was no way on earth that I would have gone up that rock face first. But I did get up that rock following. There's no way on earth that I or you can get to heaven on our own. But we can get there following. And as we seek to be Christ's, he has us every step of the way. That's what ascension is all about. And then finally, there's that old 
legend told of Ascension Day that many people will know. Jesus re-enters heaven after his ascension and the archangel Gabriel bows low to him. Welcome back, my Lord. Have you accomplished all that you set out to do? I think so, I think so, says Jesus. You've successfully organized a community to carry on your work and your teaching. Well, says Jesus, I've left about 20 folk there to really get things moving. 20? gasped the archangel. Is that all? Well, that's all. These people, my Lord, they're people of great importance and scholarship and ability. Not really, says Jesus. They're just ordinary folk. But what if they should fail, says the archangel? The whole enterprise will have been in vain. All that cost and suffering will have been wasted. And in the legend of the story, the reply of Jesus is, they must not fail. I've made no other plans. So three things. Do you know that someone up there loves you? Do you know that he's gone there before and following is the way to get there? And do you know that you're part of the plan for what happens next? And we could finish there. It'd be a really good preacher's place to finish and some of you are dying for me to finish but there's just one more minute. Because the legend's wrong. It's simply not true that Jesus had no other plans. Or perhaps it's better to think if it's not another plan, it's an all-important dimension of the same plan. For just as ascension marks the end of one thing, the earthly life of Jesus, it marks the beginning of another marvelous act of God. God, the Holy Spirit, comes as part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, and falls upon disciples to give words to preach and power to heal, to discernment to ministry and strength to grow and to transform the world. A way is found and another gift is given. So make sure you're in church next week because it's Pentecost Sunday and the way will be offered, power will be offered and can be received. But for today, do you know that someone up there loves you? Do you know that he's gone before and following is the way? And do you know that you're part of the plan?